Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. You have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel. We're in the Old Testament today, the book of Daniel. We're looking at chapters 3 and primarily chapter 4. We are still talking about walking with God. How do we walk with God? And we established that principle very early, that principle that said three times in God's word that God is opposed to or resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You remember that? That is a principle and that it's not going to change. That's God's word. It's not going to change and be altered. That's the principle. If, you, if you're going to walk in pride, God is going to oppose you and going to resist you. But if you'll walk in humility, then God will show you grace and show you a greater grace. We took that test to find out that all of us really have an issue with this pride and we need for God to humble us and, and we need for God to help us to humble ourselves. Because remember, when we got into the passage, one of the things it told us to do was humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And I gave you a warning at that time. You do not want to ask God to humble you because he certainly can. Rather, you want to humble yourself. That's a totally different adventure. And today I want to show you some illust- uh, one illustration, and over the next few weeks I'm going to give you a number of illustrations regarding people who needed to be humbled, who needed to be humbled. They, they were walking in pride, and, and therefore they were in opposition to God, and God humbles them. And you can see that experience in their life. Today I want to show you a a well-known king, a pagan king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Boy, what a name. They hung a name on him, didn't they? Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king. He was the most powerful king of his time. He not only conquered the world, but he also beautified the world. And he did some glorious things. And is thought to be one of the most outstanding kings in history. But you find out that his history is told in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, about some of the kind of unique experiences he had whenever he took the children of Israel out of Jerusalem and Judea and carried them over to Babylon, and he began to encounter the true God. He encountered that true God through the man named Daniel and encountered that true God through three Hebrew children Hebrew youth who were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all remember that? And he has the opportunity to encounter the living God, the most high God. And in that experience, God is going to humble him. Now think about that. The most powerful man in the world who encounters the living God is going to experience humility and a humbling at the hand of of that God. Why? Because he was full of pride. He was full of pride. Now, if you want to ask God to humble you, he certainly can do it. And and before you ask that, I, I want you to hear what happens to Nebuchadnezzar and to find out if you really want God to humble you. We're not only going to look at the pagan king, but next we'll, we'll look at a righteous king. And then we'll turn around and look at New Testament. I want to give you some illustrations because sometimes is it easier to understand an illustration than it is a principle? It is for me. 
You can tell me a story or give me an illustration. I can grab hold of that better sometimes than I can the principle whenever it's all listed out that I've got to memorize. So here are the examples of that principle of God opposing the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you're here in the book of Daniel, the setting for this story is all found in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to tell you the story. You know it well. It's when Nebuchadnezzar was told by his wise people that he needed to make him a large idol and he needed to require all the people of the land to bow down and worship that idol. Whenever they heard the the music play, they were all to bow down and worship the idol. Well, whenever he, he agreed to that and whenever all the instruments played, everybody in the land bows down except three Hebrew youth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they do not bow down. And when they don't bow down, some of the counselors of Nebuchadnezzar come and said, everybody's bowed down except those three Hebrews that came that you brought from over there in Jerusalem and Judea. They have not bowed down and they have worshiped you and honored your idol that you said. So he got angry and he he called them in and he said, listen, what are you doing? Don't you know that I gave you a command that you are to bow down, and if you do not bow down, you will be thrown into a fiery furnace. You're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And he said, he said, I'm going to tell you something. There's no God, there's no God anywhere who can save you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hold on a second. You haven't met our God. <laughs> our God is the God who can save us out of your hands. He can protect us in the midst of the fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we'll not bow down and worship you because God commanded us that he's the only God we're to bow down and worship. Boy, I made Nebuchadnezzar so mad. He said, make the fire hotter than it's ever been. And they take them and they cast them into the fiery furnace. You remember that story, right? Even the ones who threw them in the fiery furnace, it was so hot, it killed them and burned them. But whenever those three Hebrew youth went into the fiery furnace, it did not burn them. It didn't burn them. Matter of fact, it didn't scorch their clothing. They didn't even smell like smoke. But you know what they were doing in the fiery furnace? They were just walking around. Walking around in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in to the fiery furnace and he says, didn't we throw three in there? They said, yes. They said, well, there's four in there. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Amen. It was the son of God. Probably the pre-incarnate Christ came to be in the midst of the fiery furnace to protect them and to allow them to live even though Nebuchadnezzar tries to kill them. Well, I think that kind of makes an impression on somebody. Would it make an impression on you? Certainly would. Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And look what he says here in uh, chapter 3, what he says about God. He says this in verse 28. Listen to what it says. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own. Look at 29. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house reduced to rubbish heap inasmuch, and this is very important right here, 
Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Now, he says, man, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that most high God, identifies the most high God, he is a God who was able to deliver his people from the fire. But he at this time does not know or understand that there's only one God. He just thinks that this is one of the many gods. But it's kind of a unique God because this unique God was able to protect those Hebrew children from the fiery furnace and from death. And so he says, their God should be blessed. Their God should be honored because there's no other God like that God. But he still believes there are many gods. And you remember what God says, that the worship of God is that you worship God alone and there is no other. Remember that? So Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer here. He's still pagan. He's pagan and he believes in many gods, polytheism. Here's just one of the gods. And he hasn't understood that there's only one true God. So that's the setting of what happens here in chapter 4. Look what happens next in chapter 4. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the people's nations and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. Listen to verse 2. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. Now, that, you need to underline every one of those words. He identifies Jehovah as the Most High God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he's got a name for him. He's the Most High God. Now, that sounds like a really good name, except for the fact that Nebuchadnezzar really doesn't accept him as the Most High God. He just has the name of Most High God, and, and there are other gods that are there. So he's believing in polytheism. He believes in the Most High God. But what is the Most High God there to do for Nebuchadnezzar? Notice what it says. It says, verse 2, the wonders which the Most High God has done for, what does it say in your Bible? Has done for me. Do you, you know why the Most High God existed and Nebuchadnezzar found out? The Most High God existed just for him. He was there to make Nebuchadnezzar look good. He was there to bless everything Nebuchadnezzar did and help him to be successful. God was there for him. God was there for him. Be careful that you do not fall in the same trap as Nebuchadnezzar and you think that God is there for you. You understand that? You say, well, I think God is there for The primary reason God's here is not for you. He is the focus, not you. He's here for him, amen? And you were created for him and you're to honor him and it's really all about him. It's not that God is there for you. And Nebuchadnezzar said, well, this most high God, he's, he's been good to me. He's, he's blessed me. So obvious this God's here for me. Look what he says. Verse three, how great are his signs and how mighty are the wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. That sounds like everything that you'd want to say about God, but he's saying all of that's true about God and all that happened because it's about me. And why does he feel about him that way because he's full of pride. What is pride? Pride is focused on me. 
It's the big R-I, right? P-R-I-D-E. It's focused on me. And Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride. So what happens? God is going to deal with him and deal with his pride. So what happens next? Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. I'm going to tell you the story. You can follow it there in your Bible. He has a dream. When he has that dream, he's disturbed about the dream, and he calls all of his wise men. He calls the magicians, the conjurers. He calls the Chaldeans. If you look in the footnotes of your, uh, on the, in your Bible, it'll tell you that those were the priests of all kinds of religion. They were soothsayers. They were the astrologers. He called everybody from every religion, every god that he knew about because what? He believed in all of those gods. And he brings all of them together so that they could interpret his dream and tell him what this dream and vision that he had that day, what it was all about. But you know what? Not a one of them could tell him anything. Why? Because they don't serve a true God. They don't serve a true God. There's only one true God, and that's God Jehovah, God Yahweh. Amen? And so they couldn't help him a bit. So what does he do next? He calls upon Daniel. He calls upon Daniel. He says, Daniel, I know that you're a servant of the Most High God, one of those other gods. I know you're a servant of the Most High God, and I need for you to help me. I need for you to tell me what this dream is that, that God has given me, this vision that, that is on my mind. Well, what, what's it about? What's, what's going to happen? Well, he says, King, tell me the dream. And here's the dream that he had. He saw this Large, strong, mighty, high tree. Ah, it's it's a beautiful tree. It has large branches and its foliage is beautiful. It says that the beasts of the earth all found shade underneath the tree and the birds of the air all found a place to live in the midst of the tree. And that all of creation was fed by that tree. Wow, that's a picture, isn't it? But something happened. When he saw that wonderful tree, then he heard a voice. He said it was an angelic voice, an angelic messenger, one of the holy ones. Isn't that interesting? He understood that this messenger was a holy one. And this messenger comes and he shouts forth and says, chop down the tree. You are to chop down the tree. You are to take its branches off. You are to strip it of foliage. There will no longer be a shade for the beast or the animals. There will no longer be the branches for the birds. There will no longer be food in abundance for all of creation. It is to be chopped down and the stump is there, but leave the stump. Leave the stump. And around that stump, put a band of iron and brass. Iron and brass. And then he changes the vision and the announcement. He then begins to talk about and says about someone. That someone is going to go and the dew of the earth is going to be upon their body. And, and their hair is going to grow to where it is like the feathers of a bird. And they're going to... Eat like a cattle eats grass from the ground, and they're going to lose their mind, and they're going to be in that state as though they are a beast. 
And that was the vision. And Nebuchadnezzar says, what does that mean? What, what, does, that, what does that mean for me? And Daniel, he, he, it was interesting about Daniel. Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Nebuchadnezzar had taken them out of their homeland and brought them over here, he still cared about Nebuchadnezzar. You know what he told Nebuchadnezzar? He says, he said, I really don't want to tell you, I really don't want to tell you the interpretation of this vision. He, he said, I wish that what I'm going to tell you were, is true, is true for your enemies. I, I wish what's going to happen is going to happen to your enemies, but, but it's not going to happen to the enemies, but rather it's going to happen to you. Look at verse 22. It says, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. And in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots and ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it. And great. Look at verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. And you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew on heaven. And seven periods of time, that means seven years, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind. You need to underline that in verse 20, 25. Until you recognize that the most high ruler, God, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots and tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Hear what he told him? King? This is you. This story about you, this great tree is you. You had all splendor and all majesty and you've been recognized and you've been taking care of the world, but, but there's pride in your heart. It's caused you to be lifted up. It's, it's caused you to think things about yourself and, and to fail to understand that God Almighty in the realm of heaven is the one who rules all things and who is in charge of all things and who is the one who deserves all worship and glory and majesty, you have forgotten about that, king. And because you've forgotten about that, God is going to come and cut down you as the great tree. There's going to be a stump there that tells you that you're going to have another opportunity and you're going to rule again, but that tree is going to be cut down and you are going to literally turn into a beast. And you're going to live like the cattle in the fields for seven years until you realize that God Almighty, the Most High God, the one true God, rules over all of the universe. Wow. You know what Daniel then said? King, repent. <laughs> repent and confess your sin. Repent and confess your sin that, that God might change his mind and might not bring that 
judgment upon you, that judgment of your pride. Isn't it interesting? God gave him an opportunity to repent, but Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. Well, what happens next? Look what happens in verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Listen. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, in 12 months, it hasn't happened. So I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar thinks, ah, what that vision was didn't mean anything. <laughs> what that vision that Daniel told me obviously hadn't taken place. It's been 12 months, hasn't taken place. Listen, just because something doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Amen. I mean, God's not on your timetable. He's got it all worked out. It's interesting to me that God gave him 12 months to repent, 12 months to get right, 12 months to change his heart. But he never changed his heart. He was still full of pride. He still thought that he had done everything, as you'll see in just a minute, had not changed his heart. So after 12 months, here comes the judgment. Look what it says there in verse 29. 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, Verse 30, you need to underline this. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, underline these words, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might, listen, of my power and for the glory of who? Of my majesty. Who built great Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar said he did. And how was it done? By his power. And why was it done? For his majesty, for his glory. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar. That is a picture of pride. It reveals what his heart had been and what God had seen in his heart. And why God said, because your heart is such, I will judge you. Whenever you elevate yourself to a position that only I have, God is a jealous God, and God will not allow anyone to hold that position. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, as Nebuchadnezzar says this, he says, I've told you that I will judge you. He's already forewarned him. I will judge you. So what happens next? Look there in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. That means you're not in charge anymore. Sovereignty means the power to rule. And Nebuchadnezzar thought he had the power to rule. He thought he could dictate whatever he wanted to do and all the world would move at his command. And he says right here, Sovereignty has been removed from you. Look at verse 32. And you'll be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. And you'll be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven years will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Listen now, verse 33. Immediately. The word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feather and his nails like bird's claws. Do you hear that? And that literally happened. 
It, it, this is recorded not just in the Bible. It's, it's recorded in secular history. Secular history that King Nebuchadnezzar, that great and powerful king, lost his mind for a period of seven years. His, his wife, the queen, ruled in his place for those seven years because he totally lost his mind. And then he regained his mind, and he came back to rule. Well, we don't need secular history to tell us that, but it just confirms that what Daniel said and what God had prophesied is exactly what took place. He lost his mind. That's a possibility. He lost his mind to think that he was an animal, to think that he was like the beast of the field. There's a psychological abnormality called zoanthropy. Z-O-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. Read it when you get home. And you know what that is? You know what that psychological disorder is? The psychological disorder is the person thinks they're an animal. They think they're an animal and they begin to function like an animal and live like an animal and carry out all the things. Eat like an animal. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar who said... I've done all this in my own power and for my own glory and for my own majesty, and it's all about me, and I'm the one who's done it. God said, let me show you what I can do for you, and God acted to humble that great king. Wow. There's a side of me that wish God would still do that. If so, we'd have a bunch of people in Washington grazing in the back 40, wouldn't we? Isn't that true? I'm telling you, that, that was an act. That was an act that said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not about you. It's about God. And that I have the power to just speak a word and totally cause you to lose your mind and lose your sense of who you are and to act like an animal. And that's what happened to him. In order to what? In order to humble him. Do you, you understand why, why I said you don't, you don't want to ask God to humble you? He, he certainly can, right? He certainly can. Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask for it, but Nebuchadnezzar needed it. And God was going to show him and help him to understand who the one true God is. Not just one of many gods, not just the most high God above other gods, the only God, the sovereign God, the ruler of all creation. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar stayed in that state. Well, look what happens, verse 34. But, the, but at the end of that period, notice who's speaking here. I, Nebuchadnezzar, in other words, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking at this point. He says, but at the end of that period, those seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. After seven years as a beast, he opens up his eyes, turns them towards heaven, and blesses the Most High God. Listen to what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. He means he's in charge. God is in charge. He rules. He's never given that up. Amen? His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures 
from generation to generation. Listen to verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. What do he say? All the inhabitants of the earth, all of the create, all of mankind is counted as nothing. Who is one of those in mankind? Him. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is one of those. He says all of mankind, all of mankind, even me, Nebuchadnezzar, who was to build Babylon and who did it for his glory and majesty and was raising himself up seven years prior to this, he says, I am nothing. I am nothing. Go on. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. Who's in charge? God's in charge. God does according to his will. If he wills for me to be king sitting on the throne, I'm king sitting on the throne. If he wills for me to be the beast in the field, I'm the beast in the field. Whatever he wills, whatever he chooses, he is the one in charge. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand. Here's the mightiest king of that day who thought he could defeat anybody and hold off anybody. And he says, no one can hold off his hand. He's all powerful. Or say to him, what hast thou done? That means to question the sovereignty and the choosing of God. What, what right does anybody, here's Nebuchadnezzar said, what right does anybody have to question God about what God would choose to do? I'm here to tell you, seven years acting like a beast has brought some really good theology into his mind, in his heart, right? Let, let, me, let me tell you something. When you walk in the valley of the shadow of death and you walk through humbling experiences in your heart, you'll, you'll discover some really good theology too. You're going to discover more theology in the valley than you are on the mountaintop. And this man, in the midst of all of this, he's come to where he, he could teach a theology class about who God is. Look at verse 36, though. At that time, what? When he said all these things about God, he's confessed what about God? God, you're glorious. God, you're wonderful. You're, you're sovereign. You're all powerful. You don't have to answer to anybody. We are nothing in your sight. He said all those things. Listen to what it says. And at that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Just like God said, after seven years, and you realize who's in charge and who rules this world, then you will be restored. You will be restored, just like God said. Now, please do not miss verse 37, because listen to what it says. Here's his testimony. If Nebuchadnezzar were standing right here today, this is his testimony to you. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. And all his works are true, and his ways are just. Now, listen to what he says right here. Do not miss this. And he is able to humble those 
who walk in pride. <laughs> I, think he could, I think he could bear that testimony. What do you think? What a glorious... I, I really, I don't, I don't know the spiritual condition of Nebuchadnezzar, but I can tell you this. Based on that confession, based on what God did in his life, based on all those things, I'm not sure old Nebuchadnezzar just didn't get saved right here. What do you think? I think Nebuchadnezzar may be in glory one day because God cared enough about him to humble him so that he'd realize God's God and he would make a statement that says, I praise him, I exalt him, I honor the king of heaven and all his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. That was his testimony. I don't want you to have to say the last part of that testimony. I, I don't want you to be the one who stands up and, and has to say, I can tell you from personal experience that God can humble those who are full of pride. Just trust what Nebuchadnezzar says, amen? <laughs> Just trust what he says. Take, take his testimony, take his experience, and realize that God can certainly humble the proud. He can humble the proud. But he humbles the proud in order for us to be full of humility, in order for us to experience the grace of God. Because if we're full of pride, God must oppose us. If we're full of pride, we're not going to have a relationship with God Almighty. So God cared enough about Nebuchadnezzar to humble him so that he could discover the real, true, only one God. Have you discovered that God? You realize he's the only true God? You realize that you were created for him, he wasn't created for you? You realize that your life is all about what you do for him. It's not what he does for you, even though he blesses us in so many ways. Could there be some, some inkling of your heart and your life that's, that's like Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, pride's crept into your life. Pride's crept, it's more about you than it is about anybody else. You think what you have, what you've done, what you've accomplished, what you've done, rather than realizing what God's done. And how he's blessed you. God says to you, Nebuchadnezzar says to you, humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Do not ask God to humble you. For he certainly does know how to humble the proud. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter 
at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.